Can you imagine leading music in another culture, in another language? And uh, we just praise the Lord for your willingness to do that and, and come here and, and help us with that. And so praise God for that. I've been there uh, when we started a church in, in Argentina. We had no music leader, so I led music. Katie played the piano. And uh, let me just tell you, it did not come out too good. And we were way off key, way off key. And so um, let me see here. Am I on? Am I on? Am I on now? All right, here we go. Thank you. See, they didn't even hear that first part. We were, we were on key. We were on key. <laughs> way off key. Um, 2004, we um, did a survey trip to Argentina, and, and uh, we were all excited about starting a church down there, and we met this young man. Uh, really neat guy, fire for God. He was in his younger 20s at the time and, and, um, and just really loved the Lord. And we, we built up a friendship there. He married one of um, somebody that we knew. And so uh, we became close there. They started to have some kids. And, and um, as, as the church where he was at serving was growing, uh, the pastor that was the pastor at that time, uh, he... Um, he had issues with his marriage, and so the church, he had to leave the church. And so this young man became the pastor of the church. Probably wasn't ready, but he was on fire for God and loved the Lord, and so he, he gave it a try. I remember I actually preached at his ordination, and I preached a sermon out of Jeremiah, and, and I talked about how he needs to really focus on God. And, and First Timothy, I used some First Timothy, and he was in tears. And he came up to me and he said, can I have your notes? I want to keep these and remember these from, from, you know, as I pastor this church. He started pastoring and as he's pastoring, he's, he's you know, having some problems with people in the church, which never happens, right? Um, and um, he's starting to doubt some things and wonder about some things. And he's struggling with some things. And, and, and as they're having kids, they decide what they decide to do is they decide to open up their home to an orphanage. Now, let me just tell you, this is a young man who is just having kids, and now he's going to have teenagers in his house. Is that a wise thing to do? <laughs> he had a heart for people. And so they brought them in. And um, as they bring them in and they're ministering to them, it overwhelmed him. And he started to see a girl on the side that wasn't his wife. He uh, eventually left his family. He left the church. He tried to start a family with this girl. And um, somebody asked him, so how are you doing spiritually? And he says, I, I don't, I'm not doing anything. I don't believe in anything. How, how does somebody go from on fire for God to studying to be a pastor to taking a church to bringing in an orphanage to help them and loving people to somebody who doesn't believe in God now. Does that shock you? It startles us when we hear those stories and especially when they're close to us. I remember the tallest guy I ever baptized. And anybody that I baptize is tall. But anyway, this guy, this guy was huge. I mean, he was big. He had to be at least 5'8". You know, he was a tall guy. 
Nah, he was, he was six something. But anyway, and everyone's like, how are you going to, this guy, man, I tell you, I, I want to cry just thinking about it. I mean, he, he got saved. It was amazing. He was on fire for God. He would cry sharing the gospel with his friends at work. And he would curse while he shared the gospel. He still didn't get that up. So he would tell, do you know what Jesus did for you, you bleepity bleep? Do you know that he died on the cross for you, bleep? Do you understand this, bleepity bleep? And he'd have tears coming down his eyes. Love the Lord. Just didn't clean his mouth up. <laughs> they all wondered, how are you going to baptize this guy? Well, how do you baptize somebody that's like twice your size? Very easy. You make him sit down. Amen. <laughs> he sat in the pool, the pool. And I just, wow, I got him good. Boy, he was living for God. Loved the Lord. Serving God. Man, I saw a change in his life. I, I was just so excited. Months gone by, work wasn't going well. So he started to work and work and work and stop coming to church and work and work, stop reading his Bible, work and work. And finally, he came to the point where he didn't believe in anything anymore. I praise God that, not like the first friend, this guy did come back to God um, several years ago. But to see that, to see a man go from crying, talking to you about the gospel, to saying to you he doesn't believe shocks you. And I want, I want you to look at this passage of Scripture with us because it shouldn't shock us. It should sadden us, but it shouldn't shock us. Why? Because look at this in this passage of Scripture in verse 1 of chapter 4 of 1 Timothy. We're going to be looking at these verses here this morning. He says here, but the Spirit, Paul writes, explicitly says. And so the Spirit of God has warned us about this. And it's all throughout the Bible. You will see different warnings. Even Jesus said there's going to be false Christs that are going to stand up and do different things. It's all throughout the Scriptures that, that the Spirit of God warns us about what's going to happen. The Spirit of God explicitly says, this is unmistaken, this is what He says is going to happen. In the what? Later times. Or the last days. And, and, and people get bent out of shape about this. They say, you know what? We're living in the last days. That's true. But guess what? Paul was living in the last days too. And there are seasons of the last days where there's going to be great apostasy. Look what happens to people in verse 1. The Spirit tells us that in the later times, some will what? Fall away. That word there is the Greek word for apostatize. They turn their back on the faith. They renounce the gospel. Now, don't miss this because apostasy doesn't mean that they have different views than we have. Somebody says, so what are you, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, whatever? What are you? I'd say I'm, I'm pre-trib, I believe that, I believe in the rapture and all that. Oh, are you mid-trib? You're an apostate. Watch out with that. It's not on the non-essentials he's talking about. What they're turning away from, look what it says in the text. They are falling away, they're apostatizing, they are moving away from the faith. They are renouncing the gospel. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. They don't believe that they're sinners in the need of a salvation. They renounce that. They renounce that Jesus is the sufficient Savior. And they fall away from it. 
These are people who once identified with Christ, but later on renounced the very Christ they identified with. This is serious. The Holy Spirit said this is going to happen. You're going to see it. You say, how does that happen? Look at this passage. It tells us. It tells us in verse 1 how this happens. They pay attention. They start to follow. They start to they, they give their minds and hearts and thoughts to what? Look at this in verse 1. To satanic. Satan is behind this. Look at this. They pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Did you know the first liberal theologian in the Bible was Satan himself? He, and, and he was amazing on what he said. Did God really say this? Here's what happens in verse 1. We don't realize this. The devil is at work. And he is using false teachers to say things that sound good. They sound good. But they're not biblical. You say, you got any examples? Thank you. <laughs> I have a few. All right, now, I want you to tell me who this is. One's a girl, one's a guy. They both begin with the letter J, their names. I won't say their names, but I think you know their names. They begin with the letter J. Look at this one. God wants you to live in overcoming life of victory. He doesn't want you to barely get by. He's called the El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. He's not El Chipo, the God of barely enough. What do you think said that? Joe Osteen. Joe Osteen, very good. How about this one? There's a miracle in your mouth. If you want to change the world, start by changing your words. If you learn how to speak the right words and keep the right attitude, God will turn that situation around. Joel Osteen. Watch this one again. Here's another one. I prosper in everything I put my hand to. I have prosperity in all areas of my life, spiritually, financially, mentally, and socially. I take good care of my body. Amen? I want amen. I eat, I eat right. I look good. I feel good. I weigh what God wants me to weigh. They really wrote this. I weigh what God wants me to weigh. Pain cannot successfully come against my body because Jesus bore all my pain. I lay hands on the sick and they recover. I receive speaking engagements in person by phone or by mail every day. I walk in the spirit all the time. Joyce Meyer. <laughs> Here's one for you. There is no hope of anyone going to heaven unless they believe this truth that I'm presenting. You cannot go to heaven unless you believe with all your heart that Jesus took your place in hell. Joyce Meyer. We are bombarded by Christian things, so-called Christian books, so-called Christian radio stations, so-called Christian churches that even use the name of Christ but deny the very Christ that they proclaim, that add works to salvation and say you must be wet to be saved and you have to be baptized to get to heaven. I've said this a thousand times. You go into the water, a sinner, you come out, a wet sinner. Amen? Amen. <laughs> 
That will not save you. If it would, I'd throw water on all of you. If it was that easy. And some churches do. They go down the aisle and they sprinkle you. I just sprinkle those in the first row. When I get excited, a little spit comes out and I sprinkle them. That's why there's not many here. Mark, I admire your courage. Especially after open heart surgery. They have deceitful, don't miss this, they're deceitful spirits, it's demonic, and it's doctrines of demons. Satan is at work here. Satan is inspiring them, and Satan is using human beings. Watch this. Verse 2, look at verse 2. By means of the hypocrisy of liars, he's using hypocrites. He, you say, a hypocrite, what is that? A hypocrite is somebody who plays the part. And they play it well. We kind of like those kind of shows, don't you? The lip sync show where the person gets up there and you got to guess which one's the fake. And they're up there singing the song and they're moving the body and everything. And you think that person can sing and then they really sing and they stink. <laughs> Why? Because they're playing the part. Hypocrites play the part. And, and here's what makes it dangerous. They are wearing the mask of Christianity. And they're making you believe that these things are true because they play the part so well. I, I, Katie was looking for books for us to get for me and my sons. We were going to go through a discipleship together. So she found a book from Tim Chowies. We go on Tim Chowies. Sometimes he gives you good books. And the book is called The Men We Need. And so when the boys opened it up for Christmas, Joshua looked at it. What? The men we need as opposed to the men you have? I mean, what are you trying to say? You know, you know he kind of took it as a shot. But anyway... In this book, he says this. He says, men live in a fantasy world. It's very powerful. And they use two things in that fantasy world. Can you guess what the two things are? One of them is pornography. And the other one is video games. You say, why are video games so great? I'm not against video games. Believe me, I, I like video games. But why are video games so great? Because they be, they, they're heroes in that fake world. And they're bums in the real world. They don't go to work, they don't do this, they don't support their family, they don't care less about this, they don't, they don't go out in the neighborhood, they don't do anything, but in the fake world, for 15 hours a day, they're heroes. He says people love the fake, and they've, they've used the fake instead of the real. He said, do you know that children now, between the ages of, I forget what they were, teenagers and all that, 600%, it's raised up 600%. They don't want spouses now. You know why they don't want spouses? Because they're entrenched in pornography. They want the fake. They don't want the real. These people are fakes. They play the part. And they play the part well. And they're liars. Look at this here in verse 2. They wear the mask and they're liars. They tell you things that are not true. Listen to this. We laid hands on the check and prayed. I went out and got all of our checkbooks and my pocketbook and my husband got his wallet and we laid hands on them and we put blood on them asking God to protect our money, to cause it to multiply and to see it that Satan could not steal it anymore from us. People listen to that, they're like, holy cow, where's my wallet? Get throw some blood on it. God's going to multiply it. They're liars. That's a lie. Don't throw blood on your wallet. It's not going to help it. It's gross. It's nasty. 
Don't do it. You can pray over your wallet all you want. God is not obligated to fill your wallet. But he will save you from your sins. You say, doesn't it bother them to say these things? I mean, here they are with a smile and they, they got the mask on and they're lying to you. Doesn't that bother them? No, it doesn't. Look what the verse says. Verse 2, they are seared in their conscience as with a branding iron. He uses a medical term here. When somebody starts bleeding, they would burn it to stop the bleeding. And what he's saying is their conscience has been bombarded so much by Satan's lies and the deceit of Satan that the conscience no longer bothers them. They don't feel a thing. In fact, they can lie to you in your face and not even worry about it. They can play the part. That's what kills me about this guy that became a pastor is he sat at our table. He played the part so nice. And yet on the side, he was cheating on his wife. They play the part and it doesn't bother their conscience. In other words, if we keep letting ourselves get bombarded by Satan's lies and listening to this stuff, it's not going to bother us anymore. So we have to be careful. You say, what were they teaching that was so bad. Look at this in verse 3. This is, this is crazy. You would think that they were teaching things like, you know, Jesus is not the Christ or, you know, you got to get baptized to get to heaven. Look what they go after. Two wonderful things. Two things I love in life. You ask me what my life is about, I'll tell you what it's about. Marriage and food. Amen? <laughs> That's my life. <laughs> Two favorite things in the world. My wife and my pizza. I love them both. They go after marriage and food, of all things in the world. I mean, look at this here, what they do. It says men, they forbid marriage. You say, any church does that? Well, I grew up in one that did. In fact, somebody asked me, so why aren't you a priest? I look at him, because I want to get married, amen? That's why. I like my wife. They forbid marriage. Why do they do that? Because... Because back then, you know where that started from? Why they forbid marriage is because they believed that all sex was wrong. And so you can't even have sex in marriage because that, that displeases God. So since all sex is wrong, don't ever marry. Stay away from it. And then they're saying this in verse 3, abstaining from foods. Foods. Pizza. Steak. Lemon pie. <laughs> Amen. Am I the only one? Lemon pie is the best. Lemon pie. Praise God for lemon pie. Lasagna. Pasta vazul. I have so many more in my mind. I just can't get it out. You're going to be starving looking at the clock. We still got another hour left. Don't worry about it. Meat was really what they were saying. Be a vegetarian. Now, now, let me just say this. There is nothing wrong with staying single and being a vegetarian. You can love God. I don't know why you would, but you can love God. Being both. Here's what's wrong. When you do that, thinking that you're closer to God and gaining God's favor because you stay away from a stake, you've missed it. You've missed it. 
In fact, here's what's happening. It happens in our church, in our church, and in different churches and all around the world. Here's what happens. People start dabbling and whatever the word is, and dabbling in sin. I can't even think of it. Dabbling in sin. They start to sin and sin. And so they, they, start, they say, you know what? My life, I can't get it under control. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop doing this. And God's going to love me. Everything's about stopping. Stop this. Stop that. Stop. They miss it. And since they can't control their hearts, they control these external things and they stop doing these external stuff to get right with God when God wants our hearts. And so they throw their TV out. All right, well, okay, you don't have a TV now. And they, one guy, I remember, he came, he says, I am so convicted, Pastor, I can't play video games anymore. Can I donate them to the church? <laughs> he donated his video games to our church. I said, thank you. I love this. <laughs> he couldn't get his heart right. I joke about it, but this is sad. He couldn't get his heart right, so he starts getting rid of things on the outside. That's not how we get right with God. In fact, look at this passage. God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. In other words, he says, if you want a heart that's right with God, you need to cultivate a heart of gratitude. Thank God for marriage and thank God for food. In fact, I'll tell you, God loves me. Everywhere I go, there's a nice restaurant. Everywhere. We're in Estes Park. I mean, there's nothing. Out. What's in this? Moose? What is out there? What are they out there? You know what's the Mestas Park? You know my favorite part of Mestas? Antonio's New York Pizza. Amen? There is an Who brought a New Yorker to Estes Park? God did. Why? To prepare him for my vacation. Amen? And let me just tell you, Antonio is beautiful. I mean, I don't think he's saved. But anyway, he's a great guy because Antonio has not only the regular pizza, he has the mega pizza. Have you been there? Anybody been to Antonio's? You gotta go to you gotta go to this park, to Antonio. The mega pizza. We were scared the first night to do that. Now we can't eat that. Third night, let's try it. Got this mega pizza. Forget about it. the slice. There, the grease is coming down. We're chomping on it. Praise God <laughs> for food. There's an attitude of gratitude in this verse. He's saying here in verse three. You, you believe it and you know the truth because look at verse 4. For everything that God has created what is what? It's good. It's good. Here's the problem. We live a life that doesn't show it's good. Our marriages are struggling. Everything about life is about diets and food and this and that. and Can't believe you've eaten that. And watch me. And you'll believe it after you see me chomp it. We have this bad conception about what God has made good. And our whole life is about things and we show the world. And no wonder why kids look at marriages and say, I never want to get married. Why would I want to get married to live like that? And yet we go back to what the Bible says and God created it, it is good. Here's what's amazing about marriage. You want to know how good marriage is? If I knew how good it was, I would have got married in kindergarten. It is so good. 
God, when he created man, you, you know it. He created man. He said, it's good. It is good. It is good. The first time he said it's not good, when did he say it's not good? It's not good for man to be what? Alone. Right? He created Eve. Praise God for Eve. And he created Eve. And then God said this. He didn't only say it's good. He said it is very good. He threw a New York thing in there. It's very good. It's not just good. You know why it's very good? Because marriage is wonderful. If we live out what God wants us to live out. 21 years. Unbelievable. Praise God. Um, I'm just, I'm so thankful. He says here in this passage, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with what? There it is. Gratitude. You know how somebody overcomes pornography? They overcome pornography by having a heart of gratitude, thanking God. How somebody overcomes these, these sins on the outside is having a heart of gratitude. Do you know when David went with Bathsheba, what God said to David? He said this, look, if, you, if I thought you needed more, I would have given you more. In other words, David, be thankful for what you have. And he wasn't. You say, wait a minute, are there any parameters on marriage? Any parameters on food? Yeah, look at verse 5. This verse I want to rip out of the Bible, but look at it. It says this, it is to be sanctified. Here's this, a holy purpose for marriage. Somebody can say, oh, I love marriage. I'm going to marry 10 times. No, no, it's a holy purpose for marriage. There's a holy purpose for food. Oh, man, the Bible says put a knife to your throat if you're a man given to appetite and gluttony. How many times I've had a knife to my throat? Put a knife to your throat. There's a sanctified, holy purpose for what God has made. And how do we know that sanctified purpose? Look at verse 5. Here's how. Through the word of God. There it is. We look at what God says. And we follow what God says. And, and not only that, through prayer. Now, some people say this is the verse that we use so that we're supposed to pray before we eat, but they miss it because a lot of people are so good at saying grace before we eat. And if we're hungry, you know what that grace is, right? Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay God, let's eat. You know, we're hungry. But it's not saying just pray before you eat here. He's saying make sure that your life is a life of gratitude, that you say grace before God, before everything that you do. You wake up in the morning. Thank you, Lord. Before I came, and New Year, preaching two services again, and Satan's putting those things in my mind. And I, God, thank you for the two services. Not my favorite, but Lord, thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, for my wife. Thank you for my kids. I have them just a, a little bit of time. Two of them are going back to college. Thank you, God. Ellie got a, a job now for the summer, so we're not going to see her much in the summer. Thank you, Lord, for my kids. Thank you, God, for the church. Thank you, God, for my church family. Thanking the Lord. It is a life of gratitude before anything that you do and for everything that you have. You see, do you see the pattern? 
Here is somebody who says, I believe in Jesus, and then all of a sudden gets frustrated with life, starts to hear the wrong voices. Satan is behind that, and, and Satan starts to put in their mind, no, you don't have enough, you don't have enough. They buy, they drink the Kool-Aid of the people that have the mask on and are saying all the things, and all of a sudden they start to live a life of ingratitude, and they say, I don't want God anymore. One of my favorite authors... Joshua Harris, who helped me in so many ways, he said this. He said, I know all the things I've preached and all the things I've, I've done and all that, but according to the definition of a Christian, I am no longer a Christian, he wrote. He left the faith. Here's a man that wrote books that really impacted the, the community of God. And yet right now he's an apostate. You say, what do you do with people like that? Well, I'll say this. I wish I could just sit down and have a talk with them. And I really believe there's still time until they die. So don't write them off. I, I, I wanted to see Roly when we went back last year, and I was kind of hoping to see him, but I didn't get to see him, but I got a message from him that he's doing well and walking with the Lord. Praise God. You see somebody in your life who once professed Jesus and no longer professes Jesus, pray for them, and if God can use you, talk to them. And go to them with compassion and share with them the very love of Jesus Christ and what he has done for them. And it's amazing what God can do. And don't get hung up on externals. Let's not broadcast that kind of a Christianity. I'm a believer now. I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do that's not you don't that's not the Christian life. I'm a believer now. I believe in Jesus. And if you want a verse about food, here it is. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 8:8 8, 8, and we're going to end with this one. I bring this up because of Sam and Sarah. We had a Bible study a few weeks ago and we're on Zoom and I'm starving. I'm on a diet at the time. And I'm, I'm starving. And what do they do? They bring out this lasagna. And they put the camera right on the lasagna. And they're chomping the lasagna during our Bible study. I was, my vein was hanging out of my neck. My stomach was so, I just couldn't believe they would do that to me. So you know what I did to them? I made them read 1 Corinthians 8.8 8 to start off the Bible study. Look at this one. 1 Corinthians 8.8. 8, but food will not commend us to God. <laughs> We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. So don't use externals to try to get right with God. Give me a heart. And give him a heart of gratitude. And be careful about calling evil what God has called good. He created it. Where he leads me, I will follow. What he feeds me, I will swallow. <laughs> Are you with me? <laughs> Except fish. <laughs> we won't go there. But really, is our heart filled with a heart of, of gratitude? And are you trying to get right with him by externals? May this encourage our hearts today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word.
We thank you for the wonderful things that you have created. And God, I pray that, Lord, we would take heart to this message. It makes us sad when we think about those who have professed Christ, who now say they don't believe in anything. But what encourages me, Lord, is that you're a patient God, not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance and to the knowledge of truth, that even those people have hope. So, Father, I pray that if we run into any of those, or maybe we're thinking of one right now, that we would reach out to and share the love of Jesus Christ with them, that it's not too late for them to turn their hearts to you. And God, I pray for each one here in this church, God, it is so easy for us to focus on externals when you want the heart. So may each one of us have a heart of gratitude and to never call evil what you call good and to thank you for your good gifts like marriage and food and so many others. We thank you, Lord, for that. And we praise you. God, I pray for each heart here today that we would leave this place saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for my life. Thank you for the hard things. Thank you, Lord, for, for, for the great things, the blessings. Thank you for everything in my life. My heart is yours. I pray all this in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Amen.